Welcome to Radio Ramadan 365. I'm your host, Zubair. And today on the Ask the Sheikh program, we have special guest, uh, Sheikh Idris Watts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa salam wa rahmatullah, Zubair. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm well, I'm well. Sheikh Idris joins us today to answer a few of your questions that we have. And what we're going to be doing is talking over the next hour with Sheikh Idris and just posing some questions and scenarios and just uh, trying to get some of his thoughts. We're on 87.7 FM and also on 15.30 AM in medium wave. And of course, we're on digital radio as well. If you want to ask any questions, and I say this every year, and I'll say this again this year, is our program goes out every Monday to Thursday, um, 6 to 7 PM. If you have any questions, any issues that you'd like on any Islamic topics, make sure that you do send them in to us, either through Facebook or tweet us, or you can email us. And the next opportunity that we get to speak to one of our shiokh, we'll pose those questions to them. Because again, we don't often get an opportunity to ask our shiokhs direct questions, um, but this is uh, certainly one of them. Uh, so the Ask the Sheikh program is running, like I said, um, today, tomorrow, and up to Thursday. And then the Urdu version of the show uh, runs from Friday to Sunday. But let me introduce to you to our special guest, Sheikh Adris Watts uh, has been involved in Islamic education for a very long time since he accepted Islam. Uh, way back in 1998, and he studied Arabic studies at the University of Leeds. He then moved to Morocco, where he immersed himself in its language and culture and knowledge for the next seven years, and he even took classes at the Barawin, the oldest university in the world. On returning back to England then, he taught Arabic and Islamic studies in Bradford and the adjacent cities, working with mosques and institutes and supporting new Muslims, delivering speeches, workshops, uh, and institutes at different universities. He is the author of The Heavenly Guide to the Beacon of Pure Light. And he's also been on British Muslim TV on the Ask the Alam show. Um, and he is also at the moment studying uh, somatic experiencing. Sheikh, you'll have to tell us a bit more about that in a minute. Um, Sheikh Adris also has a passion for Quranic Arabic and he runs the Quranic Circle uh, website. So just to begin with, uh, as you introduce yourself, Sheikh, can you also Maybe tell us a little bit more about the somatic experiencing that you're studying and also uh, the Quranic circle as well. What would you like me to say about myself? <laughs> you <can. laughs> well, you've not already said. Well, tell us, <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us more about the somatic experience. I mean, what, I mean, what is it? And uh, you, you said you're in the third year of studying it. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, I, when I came back to England, I um, took on a... Um, involuntarily I didn't know I was going to get involved in this but I, I took on a very um, strong pastoral role in the community uh, me and my wife um, because obviously I just came initially just to teach academically um, mm -hmm. Arabic and Islamic studies but I soon realized that the community often uh, uses those same teachers in the community to get guidance from um, and so I realized the importance and I impress this upon all of our religious leaders is that I, I came to the realization that it's unethical to be involved in a role of leadership without any sort of counseling or therapeutic skills. Okay. Um, and so I, for my, I have my own little midlife crisis myself of anxiety and that sort of propelled me forward to really um, start exploring alongside spiritual guidance. We also need some basic tools, how to help people with mental health. So I went on my own search in, ter in terms of modalities that I would find I found beneficial for myself and I thought would work and that's when I sort of inter started interacting with Hakim Archuleta who is a Muslim um, 
therapist, neuropath, and homeopathist. So I started doing some studies with him online, and then I realized I needed to get qualified in this modality. So I, I started studying somatic experiencing, and I'm just... Yeah, so somatic experiencing is, is a uh, body-based ther body therapy. What that means is it's, it's a bottom-up approach. So um, usually in therapy, it's usually focused around talk. So you're processing, if someone comes in with anxiety, you're processing things cognitively. You're talking about strategies and how you can work with things and what you understand your anxiety to be very much in the realm of thoughts and beliefs. Um, but somatic experiencing is like a bottom base, a bottom up approach where we start. Um, ideally, we start with where that is in the body. You experience that mm -hmm. and we process it through bodily sensations. Um, which I found very profound because um, if you think about us religiously as Muslims, um, we have Islam, we have Iman, and we have Ihsan. And mm -hmm. Islam is looking at things physically first. Uh, right. You know, the Shahada, you utter something and then you pray. Mm -hmm. The physical zakah is giving charity. Fasting is obviously abstaining from food. And then Hajj, it's a, these are all physical acts that you exert yourself in from a, uh, it, they're rituals that anyone can perform irrespective of their beliefs. You know, no one knows what you actually believe when you're doing these acts, they're outward motions um, and actions. And Islam starts with that. Like in the Quran, it talks about the, um, the bed, you know, the Bedouins that came to the Prophet ﷺ in Surah Hujarat and saying to him, you know, we've, we're believers now, as if doing a favor to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We're believers, because they identified that joining Islam was more of a political treaty. Right. And that they were doing that, they were supporting the Muslims and doing them a favor. And then Allah says, don't say that you believe, say you've, you surrendered, I physically, aslamna. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so the first stage of our faith fundamentally it does start in the heart with the sense of belief but it's like now do something practical that you can do the physical right. and then the iman is the cognitive it's the beliefs so i believe in allah and his messengers and his books it's the cognitive understanding the mind of mm -hmm. um of our practice like what what what's be what's behind our rituals like why do we do these things on a cognitive on a cognitive understanding of those things Okay, um, and then Ihsan is the mm -hmm. spiritual. Like when you, when those two are actually in line, aligned with one another, mm -hmm. um, there becomes this out, this this connection, this spiritual connection to something, and it has a a deep transformational impact on your life, your behavior, your life, and your sense of being. And so, somatic experiencing its philosophy is that things start physically, and when you when you process the physical that has a shift on the emotional, that has an, an impact on the mental, that, and that has an impact on your spiritual as well. And Islam's very much like that. You know, you put your head to the floor physically, mm -hmm. then understand who you're putting your head towards, and then gaining a relationship with that. But fundamentally, it's a physical act that we start with. Sheikh, I found that uh, a lot of people that, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will uh, understand what I'm about to say, when it comes to, um, being in an online world when it comes to engaging everything especially during these days of lockdown we're having to uh, people are having to work online people are having to 
constantly be in front of a screen. Do you think there is some sort of spiritual deficiency there that occurs? 100%, yeah. Really? And that's so, what, what, mm-hmm. one of the questions that people will say is, yeah. why am I not present in my prayer? Exactly. And, yeah. and, and the common question, that common question is commonly answered by, well, maybe you're committing too many sins. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not thinking about Allah. Um, and th- that's too, you know, it's far deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's because we're literally disconnected from our emotions and our bodies. Um, right. And so this is why I found somatic experiencing so profound for us as a Muslim community, because if you think about it, mm-hmm. um, we are so disconnected. We are in our, ca- like even outside of the quarantine, we are in our cars, we're sat motionless. Yeah. We're in front of our computers. We're mm-hmm. sat motionless. The only thing that we're engaging is our brains and our fingers, if that. Yeah. And yeah. so if you, if you don't, the concept, the simple principle is, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So we are losing our sense of feeling and sensation in our bodies because we're not stimulating them and we're not using them. Thus, when, and that's where the prayer is a healing, if we, mm-hmm. can, if we can connect to it in the right way the right way is that when you're standing can you feel the sense that you are standing upright in your prayer actually feel your body like feel the weight of your feet feel your proprioception which is that sense of internal balance right you know really get to feel your body um but what happens to people when they do that when they're when they're called to actually connect to themselves holistically like that body mind spirit emotionally Mm-hmm. They disassociate, of course, yeah. because it's too it's too overwhelming. So I often have clients come to me and say, "I'm absolutely fine in the day until I get on the prayer mat, and then all my issues come to me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which, which is highly problematic because that, is, you're, you're obviously course. you're thinking that the mm-hmm. prayer should connect you to something larger than yourself and you to get away from your issues. And exactly. they come and visit you <laughs> during the prayer about it. So when it comes to when it comes to concentration, then uh, you're saying that has to be a whole a whole experience in terms of. Uh, but then, how does a, how does a lay person, how does a person who's maybe you know beginning to pray, maybe uh, Ramadan is some a time when they really try and uh, you know increase their ibadah. You know, how would mm. you how would you say to that? What kind of advice would you give to the average person in terms of improving their prayer then? Okay, well, within the context of Ramadan, let's look at it. Because obviously Ramadan is usually a time when people feel a, lot, uh, a, a sense of more, uh, greater zeal, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and passion to connect to their religion. And Allah's given us, you know, Allah's given us a beautiful solution for this is the fasting itself, is mm-hmm. the fasting causes us to slow down. Right. Like when you fast... It, fasting literally in Arabic means to abstain mm-hmm. and abstain abstaining from things causes you to have to slow down and contemplate because I'm suddenly stopping. Like if I say to you, you're busy in your work life, you're being productive. And yeah. then all of a sudden I say, Zubair, stop for a moment, mm. abstain from everything you're doing you are required then to think, okay, well, what do I do? I say, don't do Zubair, just be. Mm. Just be with your experience. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so, know? It's so because, difficult though. It's so because difficult. We, live in a, we live in a society that, 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 that 
um, induces productivity, just always yeah. being, I, I don't have a sense of being unless I'm on the go doing things. Now, mm. our faith requires us to slow down. Our prayer, what does it do? It requires us to stop everything. Yeah. Uh, 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 if you think about it, the month of Ramadan itself, it's suddenly a break. It's like all of a sudden something shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and anything that's a birth, something that's new, does that. Like a, a newborn child, it breaks the, your patterns, doesn't it? Oh that's my right. God, suddenly I've got this new thing in my life. A new job, uh, mm -hmm. moving to a new place. It's suddenly, what, what's my relationship to my surroundings? What's my relationship to my new circumstances? And mm -hmm. it recalls us to reflect. And fasting, um, mm -hmm. what it, I wake up in the morning, oh, nine o'clock, let's get some breakfast. Oh, hang on a minute, I can't eat. Uh, you're forced suddenly to reassess and reflect upon your day. Mm -hmm. And so my first calling to people is just to, the, the, I think the biggest danger we have as Muslims, and we use our faith, we've got the most beautiful gift as Muslims, our faith. But mm -hmm. we, use it in the, we, we use it in the worst of ways. Yeah. Um, like you, you can, in Ramadan, we use it to batter ourselves and make ourselves feel guilty. You know, mm. I'm not doing enough. Uh, I, I, I need to do five, uh, uh, five khatams of Quran this Ramadan. Uh, I need to be, make sure I read 20 tarawih, how I'm a lousy Muslim. Um, I need, I need, I need. And we've, instead of taking out a moment just to reflect in our sense of being with our maker, it mm. becomes back to productivity. And, and I'm not discounting this. I'm not, I'm not like saying to everybody, well, stop praying and stop fasting in Ramadan and stop reading Quran. But <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, take the moment when there's like, hang on a minute, like what is called of me? And then you get the feedback from your approach is, is this actually manageable? Is this sustainable? Are you actually causing, making Ramadan a, just a means to make yourself more miserable, affect, you know, impact your health in a, in a, um, a detrimental way um, are you putting more stress on you than you need mm -hmm. to because obviously we're under what's so interesting about this quarantine is is that we're already confined in our houses and we're feeling pressure and then so sometimes the fasting and the prayers can feel like added pressure like duties right. i've got to do and it can actually create more stress and our, our, our worship is supposed to push us but not stress us Right. And um, we're not supposed to be in a state where we're actually just trying to, we're just going through the motions and we're just getting this out the way. That's not Absolutely. worship now. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I call people to do first and foremost is to slow down. Right. You know, fundamentally fasting is to stop things. Mm -hmm. So use the fast just to have a bit of reflection. Use your prayer. Now I invite people in their prayer. What are you noticing in your physical experience? Like when you're in prayer, what, what do you notice about your breath? Is it, is it shallow? Is it deep? Because if it's shallow, that's a sign that you're stressed. Oh, that really? you're, right. putting, you're putting pressure on yourself. So mm -hmm. how can I just let the breath just, can I be with the breath and just be, be, be with it? Literally just sit with it, not try to do deep breathing, but just be present with your breath and notice what happens. Oh my mm -hmm. God, my shoulders just dropped. My breath just felt like it deepened. My muscle tone just softened. Oh, wow. Now engage in your prayer. Now that you're coming in into a state of relaxation and presence. 
don't go into your prayer in a state of urgency and pressure and duty and expectation and I've got to do this because it's just going to come back at you um, with detrimental um, effect. You know, the results so, will be. Mm -hmm. So I invite no, people like, just to slow down. Absolutely. No, Jazakallah I mean, I've never really thought about it in that sense. Um, we have questions that have come up in the past about khushu and prayer. And I guess yeah. this, is, uh, this is leading on to that uh, in the way of concentrating during the prayer. Uh, we have Sheikh Idris Watts with us on Ask the Sheikh. Uh, the Ask the Sheikh program, inshallah, will be running throughout Ramadan from Mondays to Thursdays at 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, you can tune in on 87.7 FM and also on 15.30 a.m. And of course, there's digital radio as well. If you do have any questions that you'd like to pose, uh, either Sheikh Idris or any of the Sheikh that come on to uh, our show in the next few weeks, uh, you can just Facebook in, you can uh, email us, you can uh, tweet us. And sometimes these kind of opportunities don't come up very often where you can actually uh, ask questions directly to the Sheikh. So any thoughts that you might have, anything that you want to re get clarified, uh, you're more than welcome to send uh, those thoughts in. Sheikh, you're talking a lot about um, really understanding your presence and being present in the prayer. Mm. Uh, when it comes to darker thoughts, we have uh, people, listeners who have sent me questions in the past talking about having bad characteristics, bad manners. Um, how would you, what kind of advice would you give them to try and get rid of those uh, bad habits? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's many approaches we can, like, we can, um, we can take on, like, and each situation sometimes calls for different approaches. But in the end, you have to look in the, in, in the big picture of things. It's like, is this getting me out of the cycle? Mm -hmm. Um, so, for example, let's deal with um, anger. I've got anger issues. That's my bad behavior. Now, sometimes we have to suppress our anger. We have to swallow it and just, you know, hold it back. Mm -hmm. But that won't get you out of the cycle of your behavior because in the end, anger is fundamentally an energy internally that wants to express itself. Right. And if we suppress that anger, what happens is it stays physiologically in your body, that energy. Um, and if we just keep, pre imp uh, if one, if you suppress anger, what that does, it actually, um, brings about uh, muscle tension. Right. And so it's, and, and I'm not saying it's not, it's an approach that's needed sometimes, but in the big picture of things, we need to ask how to process anger. Um, right. and the prophet had many different approaches and methodologies on dealing with anger, but the way we look at it from a somatic approach, like an embodied approach, anger is it's a feeling of violate it's a feeling that your your sense of agency is being violated mm -hmm. this is a huge topic i use in my when i'm take when i have clients is um if i feel like my i've i've lost agency in my life mm -hmm. i will become very angry or i'll become depressed there's only two ways you can react to losing your agency you either become incredibly angry and enraged. You become frustrated because I want to. I want to be able to exert myself in my life. I want to be able to achieve things. I want to be move forward. If I get a sense that that is being um, curtailed in any sense, I will end up either becoming incredibly agitated, mm -hmm. or I will become despondent and go into a sense of withdrawal and a sense of feeling sort of depressed about the situation and this uh, so forth mm -hmm. and so i ask people like what is it that's being what is it, where is your agency being taken away from you in your life mm 
that's bringing about this sense of um, I mean, oh, this, this, um, many, many, many things stem from that question. You know, if people talk, talk to me about suicidal thoughts, suicidal thoughts for me, in most cases, not always, but in a lot of the situations, it's a sense of, I don't know where, I feel like I've got no agency in my life. I don't know how to exert my agency. And thus I feel like I want to, my life has no being. And then I start getting these thoughts right. of like wanting to end my life. So for me, the moment someone starts to feel like they're moving in the right direction, generally what happens is their suicidal thoughts start fading away. The moment they feel like they're actually moving in the right direction in their life and they feel a bit more control about their experience, anger starts to dissipate okay. um, in their life on the big, in the big grand scheme of things. So where there's negativity, I'm feeling negativity in my life or I'm engaged in a lot of bad behavior, you've got to ask yourself is where am I being robbed or where am I, where am I robbing myself of my agency in my life in terms of moving towards flow, moving towards succeeding in my life and triumphing in my life and gaining the things that I know I need in order to have a, a, a greater sense of health and well-being. SubhanAllah, we, we have Sheikh Adris with us uh, on Radio Ramadan. Uh, we're going to pause quickly for an ad break. Uh, we are on 87.7 FM and 15.30 AM as well, going out on digital radio as well. If you have any questions that you'd like to pose to any of our Shiokh or special guests over the coming weeks, then please get in touch over Facebook or you can email us or you can uh, uh, tweet us. And we will make sure that we have... Uh, we have a bank of all your questions and then we'll pose them to our guests as they come on. Um, this is the Ask the Sheikh program, which comes out to you in English, Monday to Thursday, from six o'clock to seven o'clock, and on uh, Friday to Sunday in Urdu. The first part of the program then, we were talking about uh, being present in the prayer, we were talking about spiritual deficiency, we were talking about a few ways in which people can really uh, feel their Islam rather than just uh, you know, be almost like robotic through their lives. Um, there's a question actually that I wanted to ask you, which was sent in by one of our listeners uh, a while back. And it was to do with their spouse. Um, the husband is saying in the question that my wife doesn't get up to pray Fajr. Um, and she gets angry if I wake her. So what I'm getting from this is maybe both of them are on a different um, a different level in terms of their deen. How does, yeah. how, how does one reconcile that, especially with someone yeah. in their family? Well, first and foremost, I ask, this is a common question in marriage. And I ask them, before you married them, did they pray? Mm -hmm. um, if they didn't pray before and you married them in that state, you can't expect them to suddenly just change. Um, right. You have to give them space. No amount of forcing, like you can't force people to pray. It's, you know, in the short term you can, but in the long term, it's not going to be sustainable for them and they're not going to be motivated to keep it. So I asked them when you, before you married them, did they pray? And if they say to me, no, they didn't pray. I said, well, why are you whinging? You accepted it when you got married. Why is it suddenly shifted now? Now it could be that, well, I didn't pray when I initially, when we got married, but suddenly I became religious. Right. Um, and then I say, okay, well, you want, you're on your journey the way that you can have an impact on your spouse, you could, you could speak to them, you can sit them down and speak, but if you get resistance, and that's clearly what's coming up in this example you've given, mm -hmm. um, is that you're gonna have to lead to example. Like they see a positive change in you, 
Mm-hmm. And then they think, wow, this, you know, they're pra- them practicing the religion more in their daily life has actually made a change. And I'm not very happy in my life. So maybe this is what I need to do. You know, right. for example, the, the common example I give is like a diet. Say I walk into uh, the office and I'm overweight and I say, oh, this is amazing new diet. You've got to try it. And I say, yeah, yeah, we'll wait until we see the impact, the effect on you. <laughs> yeah. um, but then about two months later, you walk in Slim Jim and yeah. they're like, wow, you know, actually, I thought it was all talk and he wouldn't be able to maintain it. But it seems like this diet has had a problem. For... Then they look down and think, you know, I'd like to use lose a few pounds. Maybe I should, uh, you know, oh, entertain good. trying myself. So mm-hmm. likewise with worship is that people have a lot of people have to that we're so dismayed in our lives and skeptical mm-hmm. because we've had our heart broken so many times um <laughs> that we often need to see something before we can believe it um okay. that's one the next one i'll bring up the question is did that person pray before yes they did why are they not now and you if they're not praying now often the question is what's going on in their life right because it may be things are they're like highly stressed. Um, mm-hmm. There may be their mental health is not great. And the reason they're not praying and worshiping is because they feel overwhelmed, exhausted. And if someone's feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, they're not going to be able to no matter no amount of encouraging to, the, to them to pray will work because that just feels like more stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe that, the more someone actually starts to explore their struggles, you know, what's happened, what's what, you know, what, what really happened? When did you start feeling a bit less motivated in your worship and really to use that as a a springboard to explore their spiritual journey that they might get to the bottom of why that is so. And then if they can solve that, then they'll probably be more motivated to reconnect in their prayer But until they don't address that issue. Mm-hmm. it's unlikely that they will be able to motivate themselves. And, and are you finding, Sheikh, that uh, a lot of people during the, the time that they're in lockdown, um, that they feel almost uh, overwhelmed and pressured by the fact that they are with family? You know, we talked about an example about uh, a spouse who maybe isn't praying as much as a person might like. Um, mm-hmm. But then the same goes with children as well. So I think a, a lot of the time, more of the time that we're spending at home, we seem to be... Uh, discovering more and more about our families and when it comes to children is it the same thing do you um, do you give them time to develop their own uh, and their own spirituality or do you impress it impress your own well it's it's it's, I mean I think it's a bit of both I mean Mm -hmm. fundamentally look when children at at a very young age they are like sponges They, they they want to mimic and they want to mirror right like between the ages of probably zero right up to let's say 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, um, I found when I was teaching the madrasa, them sitting down and just memorizing Quran, that was enough. And, you know, uh, they didn't really want to be stimulated intellectually. They wanted to just mimic, like copy. And there's a sense of admiration of the teacher mm-hmm. and that they wanted to learn. Um, and so that's, I think at that age, what's really important for parents is that they pray and they encourage their kids to just stand beside them. If it's a little toddler, just to sit so they're in the presence of someone praying. Right. Um, if they're a little bit older, invite them to stand by them. If they're, if they're reluctant, let them leave them be. 
but you just invite them. So there's this gentle, general, a gentle encouragement. Right. Um, and they see you read Quran in their presence. They see you making dua. So it's something normal in their lives that they can relate to. Right. Um, so that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, if they, if you have a sense of an inner connection to God, they sense that. And I'm pretty sure that if that is the case, they will want to, they will feel a sense of connection to their religion. Okay. But however, mm-hmm. go, go on. No, no, I was going to say, how about that kind of negativity that can breed from, you know, forcing your children or forcing. Yeah, no, I mean, so if, 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 you, if that child has a strong relationship with its parent mm-hmm. and it has respect for its parent, um, if you, if you encourage them, you say, come on, I want you to, to pray. There will be a sense of, I feel a sense, you know, I want to do this because I admire my, my Baba or my mama. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you, if they already have an, a, a relationship that's quite antagonistic, Right. Um, and they feel resistance towards their parents. No amount of forcing them is going, it's actually going to just make them actually resent the religion more because you represent the religion in your practice and in your sense of authority in their life. Mm-hmm. And if they have a bad relationship with you, um, where the relationship is just about performance, this is a classic one with, um, with many Muslim uh, families is that, the, the relationship the parents have with the children is around, you know, they, they, on the phone call, they say, well, have you prayed your prayer? Have you read your spada? Have you done this? It's all around performance. And, I'm, and I said, there's, it's always a bit of this and this. I'm not dismissing that. There should, that's, but where it's all about that, how are you doing at school? There's no actually engaging. There's no right. engagement with the child in how are you doing? How's life? what's going on in your life (laughs) and just trying to find out how they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. all about meeting a certain benchmark. It's about, you know, and it's never good enough. You could be doing more that eventually if the religions represented in that fashion, just as their studies are, they will not want to pray and they will be resistant towards it. And Mm -hmm. they will, they will become frustrated around you trying to enforce that upon them so you have to look at the bigger picture what is your what is your interaction with your children mm-hmm. um i believe that if it's generally good and you are concerned about their well-being and asking after them yeah. and they feel that from you that when you encourage them to prayer um uh, sometimes even in forceful sense you say come on you know come away from the computer you know come away from doing this let's pray together that they right. what they will eventually they'll do it with a sense of wanting wanting but if you you're sensing that yeah mm-hmm. if if you if well you have to you have to see the feedback what's the feedback when i'm encouraging them like and if they're resistant ask the bigger question why are my children resistant to prayer you know right. why you know it could be that they see you know another factor is they see their extended family no one else is religious apart from mum and dad you know yeah. there's a number of fa- there's a number of factors we have to explore there to right. why are they being resistant to worship when it comes um, to when it comes to, for example, hifad in Quran and learning du'as and stuff like that, do you think do you think pushing your children is uh, maybe uh, you know where where do you draw the line between pushing your children towards learning something that is going to be beneficial for them well, in future? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, you look at the feedback, and I mean, feedback's always the, the they say feedback is the um, food of champions. Is that right. you know when you are engaging with that child on a long term level, if they are keeps dragging their feet and they're mm-hmm. reluctant you've got you're gonna to have to change your strategy 
Right. And so it may be that memorizing Quran for them at this current moment is not what, the, what the, if they're always going to be resistant, they're always going to be reluctant. What will happen in the long term is they will actually resent the faith. So you are not mm. helping them in their religion. You are mm. actually, you're, you are encouraging them to have more resentment. I mean, I can relate to that. When I was young, I didn't have a good relationship with my mother or my stepfather. Mm -hmm. And they, were, they represented Christianity to me, religion. Mm. And the, I was always dragging my feet because I didn't have a good relationship with them in the start. And mm. they were trying to impress things upon me. I believe if I had had a far better relationship where I felt that they actually they cared about my feelings and considered, um, had consideration for me, I probably would have responded far better. That's and awesome. so you've got to, all, of, all of the, our reactions to one another mm -hmm. in the house. In, like every so often we have our bad days, off days, wanting to be lazy. But in the bigger scheme of things, what is that person's behavior with me telling me? Because I'm going to have to change my strategy if it's not working. You know, in anything, if, if I'm interacting with someone and they are not reciprocating and they're resisting, it's mm. a sign that you need to change. Your, you need to reflect on your relationship with them. You need to reflect on your strategy with them. Mm -hmm. And you're going to ask yourself, how could I do this differently? So that they, you know, what, what would be the impediment? What, what are the impediments? What's the history? And how can I move things in a better direction? Brilliant. Uh, Sheikh Idris is with us on Ask the Sheikh program um, from Mondays to Thursdays at 6 to 7 p.m. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask any of our shiokh that are going to be in the programs in the coming weeks, then do get in touch through Facebook, uh, Twitter, or you can email us on Radio Ramadan 365. Uh, Sheikh, just going back to a question that did come up from one of our listeners, um, they're saying that their heart has become really hardened. So although they um, have practiced in, in the past, what they're saying is that they find themselves having, um, you know, their, their spiritual works have gone down, their uh, worship is probably non-existent, and they're mm. saying that they, they, they don't find any kind of uh, emotional connection uh, to yeah. the deen whatsoever. So how, yeah. what would you say to someone that who's in, finds themselves in that kind of situation? I mean, yeah, it's interesting that because I ask the question is like, you know, where did it go wrong? Again, reflect on, like, did you have a time in your worship when you did feel passion and you felt motivation? And then when you started losing that, what mm -hmm. was it that made you start to lose that? Because again, it's feedback for me of about, at some point there needed to be some reflection about I'm not moving in the right direction in terms of my worship. Right. Um, and obviously each individual, you have to explore that. It's like, when did I lose it? Why did I lose it? What was it that knocked my faith? But in a more broader general sense, I'd say what if like if we are using if our worship starts to feel robotic, it's because we're losing a sense of ourselves. And uh, you can start on a very practical level is starting to invite a sense of feeling back into your life. You know, I by what's it feel like? Like, what am I noticing in my body, my sense of myself? And can I feel myself? No, I feel completely numb. Okay. When do you feel alive? What is it you engage in when you feel alive? Oh, I feel really alive when I'm out with my friends and I'm on my bike or, you know, something. So what's the sense of that? Oh, I feel this like lightness in my chest. Can you feel that? Light? Like when you touch into that image of you being on your bike with your friends, do you feel that lightness in your chest? Now? Yeah, I get a sense of it now. And what can you just be with that? And the more you experience a sense of openness, 
And more you touch into the, the embodied sense of that on a physical level, what I ask invite people to do is explore, explore times in their life when they feel a sense of aliveness um, in terms of sensations in their body, in terms of a general felt sense, like, a, like feeling like I feel aligned, I feel together, I feel gathered, I feel like I'm not all over the place fragmented. The emotions, oh, I feel this joy. What's your behavior? Oh, I feel that my, my, I feel like I can, I've got more flexible. I don't feel stiff. I feel like, you know, what's the, what's the thoughts? Oh, I feel like my, my, my thoughts are just settled. What's the beliefs? I feel like I can achieve a lot more than I normally could. So exploring your experience on all these different levels, I call them the seven levels of experience. Right. Um, that we start to actually feel like our heart's not becoming hard. We start to feel vitality and aliveness again. And then how can we bring that into connection with our relationship with God? How, when we're praying, can we touch into that sense of aliveness so that the prayer and our worship and our relationship with God starts to have vitality in life and we feel motivated because no amount of willpower will mm. work unless it is connected with your emotions. Your emotions are your motivation for you to achieve things. If you are trying to achieve things devoid of emotion, like I've just got to keep going. There's nothing I can like, and then hope something happens. It won't happen. You'll burn yourself out. And so you have to align your, you know, when, when do you really, when do you do things and you just feel like I could keep going with it is when there's an emotional connection with it right. where you actually feel a sense of vitality. And so it's about touching back into vitality and then how can I reconnect that in terms of my relationship with God? Sheikh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to um, making bad choices in life, when it comes to sinning, for example, uh, mm. one of the questions that we had is that somebody saying that, you know, they feel very weak in terms of their iman and that they keep going back to the same sin again and again. Um, mm. And so that idea of just constantly feeling yourself, feeling yourself, is there any way that, especially during this month, is there any way that we can uh, give some sort of advice of how to uh, bring your iman up again, how to try and reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that sense, in the sense of not falling into error again and again? Well, we have to ask ourselves why we're falling into error again. You know, I could mm. give you simplistic answers, um, but in the end, what I ask, I think, first of all, we have to recognize that it's a blessing that you recognize it's a sin. Yeah. You know, that's the first thing like, mm -hmm. you, you have a sense that you're not in you're not oriented towards god because mm -hmm. once you recognize that you're going in the wrong direction you have a sense you do have a sense of so what's the right direction <laughs> you know yeah. if i'm walking if i'm walking away from keefley and then suddenly i wake up and think hang on a minute i'm supposed to be walking towards keefley you've got that sense of what's the right direction what's the wrong direction so it's a gift from Allah that we know we're going in the wrong direction. The biggest problem I feel is when we try to go in the right direction, we're applying the wrong methodology. We're either like forcing ourselves to do something and just like pushing and being hard on ourselves. And again, just like I said, if you do that, you will end up getting a, a flat, like a, um, you you'll be sabotaged by your nafs again. <laughs> Mm, because you're, you, we've got to go in a slow, gentle way. And we've also got to do exploration. It's not mm -hmm. just about doing stuff like suddenly I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You have to ask those deep questions about, you know, what's important to you in life. 
you know, what's happened in your life. And a lot of our sins, I believe, mm. this is going off on a different tangent, are because with our addictions. Right. So if we talk about a sin like, for example, alcohol I can't, or pornography, or mm -hmm. you say, why do I keep falling into looking at pornography? Why do I keep um, falling back to drink? Now, this mm -hmm. is complex because fundamentally with addictions, what you're doing is you're self-soothing yourself with this because you feel uncomfortable emotions. Right. I, I start to feel uncomfortable in myself. I start to feel uncomfortable in my emotions. The first thing you will do is you will turn to something that will make you feel a sense that will soothe and, and, and take away the pain. And if you did that at an early age, you did that through, you know, uh, masturbation, pornography, drinking, eating. Mm -hmm. If you, if you soothed your uncomfortable emotions, you didn't know how to deal with uncomfortable situations and you ate food to calm yourself down or you slept to, to forget about your problems, you develop these addictive um, patterns. Okay. And, and so it's, we've got to ask ourselves is fundamentally what you're doing with that addiction is you're trying to soothe. Um, mm -hmm. But what in all human beings, their innate way, their, in, their natural way to soothe is for them to connect to other people, is for them to actually connect to their own humanness, not to connect to an object to make you feel better. Right. And we have to develop. And that's why the embodied approach is so powerful with dealing addictions. It's start to be able to sit with your emotions, to sit with your sensations and, and sit with your being, your isness, before feeling that propensity to have to suddenly reach out for the alcohol or reach out for the pornography or whatever it is your addiction is. Mm -hmm. And really ask yourself, how can I connect in healthier ways how can I be, how can I connect to myself in healthier ways without the judgment, without the, you know, the angst, without the wanting just to run away and just get rid of this emotion. If you keep doing that, you'll be caught in your sins. You'll be caught in your addictions mm -hmm. and you won't be able to find a way out. So it requires a deep introspection and, and ask how, why am I soothing myself with this? And what, how can I soothe myself with something healthier? Okay. Very good. We have Sheikh Adris uh, Watts with us today on Ask the Sheikh program. Uh, we've got about five minutes to go, Sheikh. Uh, I'd like just to remind the listeners that if they have any questions or anything that they want to ask in, in terms of uh, Islam, any, any kind of queries or something that they want to bring up, you're more than welcome to get in touch with us on Facebook or uh, tweet us at Radio Ramadan 365, or you can even email us. And we'll make sure that we collect your questions and uh, we'll pose them to our shiuch over the coming weeks. Um, the Urdu program is on Fridays to Sundays at 6 to 7 p.m. and the English uh, program is like today's uh, Mondays to Thursdays. Um, Sheikh, just to finish off then, uh, we've got about four, uh, three to four minutes left. When it comes to, is there any specific dua or something that somebody can make in order to get what, any of these addictions out of their lives? We talked about people falling into error and sin. Is there any um, particular dua or any focus that they can have, uh, something that they can read to try and um, get rid of these, these bad habits or errors? So, is there a du'a for an addiction? I mean, I think any du'as that are talking about you asking for strength, mm -hmm. um, because fundamentally, I think a du'a serves many purposes. I mean, there's many more, much more than these, but these are what come to mind. I think one thing is you're calling, you're recognizing that I, you don't have the power to do this. Your own individual willpower mm -hmm. is not 
enough for you to get through this. Um, and you're reaching out to something or someone who is all powerful, who has a container to hold and, and resource anything. Mm-hmm. And so you'll recognize I can't do this alone. I need help without outside of me, which begs the question as well. Like the biggest problem with addiction is that often we feel too ashamed to reach out for help. Right. And so by making a dua to Allah, it's also a reminder that I do need help from others as well. Mm-hmm. Not just, our, you know, obviously everything comes from Allah, but we recognize that we need support groups. Right. Uh, just as we need support from Allah, we need support from people around us. People who can hold our space, though. Not people who are going to just say, sort yourself out. Can't you just get over it? What's mm-hmm. wrong with you? You know, that's not going to help someone. That's going to make someone feel worse. And they're actually more likely to fall back into addiction because of their feet. Them having those uncomfortable feelings. Mm-hmm. Another, th- another purpose that Dua serves for me is it's like an affirmation. Like, for example, you know, in the personal growth world, they have these affirmations of like, I can do this or, you know, I'm, I'm going to achieve this thing. But the difference between, I think, dua and an affirmation is with an affirmation, you, you think you're like, I, I am going to achieve this and you believe you will. But with duas, I believe you say, I'm, gonna, I'm making an intention to do something and I'm moving forward with that in my life and I'm affirming it, but I'm also looking for the feedback, whether this is actually what Allah wants from me. Right. Because we may feel we need something, but Allah's going to give us feedback, whether it's actually the right thing for us. And so that's a, I think that's a key distinction between uh, affirmations used in uh, the, the personal growth world and dua. You've, you've got to be cognizant and aware of what's the feedback as I move towards this goal. Am I getting feedback that this is, I need to re- re- redefine or refine my, 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 um, the course I'm taking or not? 